Hi, this is Sarah Spoon, and you are listening to Swing Stuff with Ruby Bell. Bling, 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 bling. Oh my God, that's beautiful. <laughs> I love that. You've got to <clears throat> remember, kids, the patriarchy claps on one and three. That's great. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know whether to put that at the start or the end or the start and the end. <laughs> Just um, like really seal it in. Hello and welcome to Swing Stuff, the podcast in which we talk about swing dancing, swing music and all of the various stuff that intersects with swing dancing culture, both historically and today. My name is Ruby Bell, I'm a dancer and each month I chat to different guests about topics that we are mutually interested in. In this episode, I talk with the wonderful Sarah Spoon about what even is DJing. Sarah has been DJing for dancers for several years and has DJed in the UK, the US, Canada, Mexico, France, Denmark, Sweden and Germany. We talked about how to get started DJing, what it means to be a professional and what's involved when it comes to DJing for dancers. Towards the end of the podcast, we talked about Sarah's experience of coming out as agender, which is a term that falls under the non-binary category umbrella and what that experience has been like so far for them. So thank you for joining us today and I hope you enjoy this episode. So tell me, how did you get into DJing? Oh, well, I've been DJing since university. I've always been obsessed with consuming music. People ask me like, oh, what podcast do you listen to? And I'm like, I don't, I don't have, I, I just listen to music. And that has been with me from a young age, just being interested in listening to as much as I can and that led me to really diversifying my musical tastes when I got to university and finding myself involved with the Alternative Music Society and we would put on rock and metal nights and we'd put on funk and soul nights and through being engaged with that I learned how to DJ with CD decks and being the kind of person that I am I just got more and more involved and I became friends with people who were running an indie night in town and uh, it was two principal DJs and I'd kind of rock up and be like the groupie in the DJ box and see what they were doing and then it got to the point where occasionally if one of them had to sub out they'd ask me to cover for them and I was all over it and I was working in HMV at the time and I had a huge music collection um I think when I finished uni I had a hundred a thousand CDs which it was heartbreaking to whistle down (laughs) it's nothing like moving house to make you part from your music and so I got just really into the concept of DJing and there's really nothing like seeing a whole room full of people be like oh I love this song and that was a great experience and then I never really did anything like that until I got into northern soul like super heavily and uh, a couple of friends of mine one of whom makes a full-time living from being a DJ and a drummer and just like really wonderful to see someone living in London and and making a living from music and they used to run um, music nights that I'd go to and they'd play with vinyl and so I got into vinyl and I started a um, vinyl singles collection and my boyfriend at the time was a sound engineer and so I'd like do little DJ sets at home on his decks 
then quite randomly I fell into swing dancing um, I mean th- that story in itself is for another time but then when I came back to London and joined the community of dancers here started volunteering for events so I could get in for free because it's really expensive going to all the things and then I heard that DJs were something that was needed and I was like oh, I'll give it a go and uh, I haven't really looked back that's awesome that's really cool <laughs> So what type of events do you typically find yourself DJing at the moment? Uh, at the moment, it's it's a mixed bag. I love to DJ full stop. So it's not like, a, oh, this event is too small for me. I have this year DJed huge dance events and tiny little local ones and things in between as long as I can play music to appreciative people I'm pretty keen on doing it. You mentioned that recently you DJed at Beantown and you were Mm. head DJ was it? I was head DJ. Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah I uh that was being so quintessentially English I was so very excited about it but I didn't want to feel like I was showing off (laughs) such a conflict but that was really wonderful because I got the opportunity to do such a variety of things. I got to use some of my event management skills by putting together the DJ roster and I was responsible for doing the music for the level testing. I was also responsible for doing all the competition heats. I think the soul competition was probably my favourite one. Yeah, what was that like? It was just a great opportunity to showcase some really, really tasty soul tracks that didn't (laughs) swing because that's like a bugbear of mine if you're going to dance to soul music do soul dancing yeah uh, and so I didn't want to give any hint of a triple step if yeah. I could avoid it so that was really gratifying when people came up to me and were like oh really loved that song I really loved all of your songs and like we had a soul train on the social dance floor afterwards it was great also at Beantown I got to run the sound for the teachers show which was super fun getting to sit in the sound box at the back of the auditorium with my headphones with the radio linked to the stage manager and oh it's just great um really super fun and then doing it again for the other shows that we had on that week it was just yeah really lovely to get my hands in there yeah that's awesome I've definitely noticed that you have a reputation for being a professional DJ like a great DJ but also a a very professional person and somebody that um event managers would want to hire from your perspective what makes a professional dj you know aside from the music that you actually play like what are the things that you want to make sure if you're hired to do a set that you tick off the list uh first of all thank you that's always lovely to hear Uh, it's a little bit like who me um because i definitely uh have that sensation of winging it a lot of the time even though I've been doing this for a number of years now but I don't know if that will ever really leave me things that I look for in a DJ team are turning up on time like Mm. I like to turn up 10-15 minutes before my shift and check that everything is fine check that the schedule's running to time because I don't want to get there and set up and be like oh I'm actually playing the current DJ is like oh I'm playing for another 20 minutes It's a bit frustrating. So just to find out the lay of the land, I like it when DJs get up from behind their seat and listen to the sound, especially if it's a new room for them to play in. I like to see them actually looking at the floor, maybe doing a little bit of chair dancing. Some people get up and go and dance and come back. That's fine. I find it really irritating personally if people aren't back by the end of the song, but that's because I have like song anxiety and I'm like, I want to be back so I can like 
be ready for the next song but that's because the way I DJ is I pick it a song at a time I don't play from a playlist I don't have an autoplay function as well I physically like click the button to make sure it happens Mm. and so I get stressed out if I think I'm going to miss that moment and like interrupt the flow and just people who are enjoying what they're playing paying attention to what they're doing I've seen DJs clearly scrolling on Facebook while they're DJing or essentially playing a playlist and going off and dancing with all of their friends for half an hour and then coming back to the desk and it's just just not how I roll and Mm. obviously everybody's cut from different cloth but I'm just like judgment yeah (laughs) yeah so I've done one of your workshops Mm. which was great and I think the biggest thing I noticed from that was was like whoa there's there's a lot Mm. (laughs) that goes into that and how much of a a team sport it is as well like it's not just you turn up with your music and and you do your thing it's like you coordinate with other DJs, you coordinate with the event organizer, particularly if you're playing um, when a band is on that night, like being respectful to the band, matching or complementing the energy levels that they're bringing, or um, let's say it's a big event and um, you need to work with other people. What factors do you consider on the night? Um, I think mindset is a big thing. Like I know that's a bit esoteric, but uh, being like, being in the room and being ready and being in DJ mode and not thinking about the day and like getting there and feeling distracted and like you can't settle into what you're doing Mm. until you've got one more song to play and the band's back on. I think being present um, and understanding that it is like, it takes a village for a good night to come off. And for a long time I was, I really felt that DJing was like competitive and like if I was a good DJ that meant that the other people couldn't be good DJs or if their set was really good that might it meant that mine was going to be bad and that isn't the case and there's always going to be things that make me feel insecure about my DJing but that's okay because that's part of life Mm. and I've got my own thing going on other people have their own thing going on and remembering that that is what gives us strength oh, it's all like peace and love over here I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um but understanding that everyone's got a part to play and that if I've been asked to DJ it's for hopefully a good reason and yeah. so I don't need to worry too much about that I just need to make sure I'm doing what I've been asked to do and paying attention and being present with the dancers, with the other DJs, with the organizer and being flexible as well because shit will always get changed last minute. And if you can't move with that and be like, yep, sure, then that's going to um, provide friction for everybody else. Yeah, that's great. Do you have any emergency floor fillers? (laughs) Emergency (laughs) bangers. Um, Yes, I have a couple of versions of this song and I've accidentally played the wrong version and it hadn't had the desired effect. Uh, But emergency floor fillers, I'd have to say, and this doesn't mean if you hear me playing this song that I've cleared the floor, (laughs) but it's like there are like go to staples Mm. and I'm not I'm not someone who will reach for the shim sham songs automatically because I've danced a lot in scenes where that's kind of like enforced shim shamming. And so I kind of, that's not what I go for, but I'll reach for something that has like a lead in before like the really good swing kicks in. So uh, Blue Skies by Ella, like that is one of my my staples. Um, I also really love Massachusetts by Maxine Sullivan. It's just really lovely. And uh, yeah, they are the two that I reach for. I try not to go for stuff 
that I know are other people's uh, guaranteed floor fillers because being somewhat more of a music snob than I used to be, I feel like they get played a lot. And so if I play them less, that kind of means that they feel shinier and more enjoyable when I do Mm. hear them. I'm not going to mention them by name because then if I'm in the room and you're playing them, you won't be like, oh, Spoon hates this. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. Keep the cards close to your chest. (laughs) One thing I realised as well is it's a very technical job and there's a lot of moving parts to it. Can we talk a bit about software? What's your setup and how do you manage a a library of music and do you use any programs when you're DJing? Uh, So I DJ from a laptop and I use DJ software called DJ. So D-J-A-Y. And I use the basic software. You can get like DJ Pro. There's also equivalent versions by Traktor and other ones out there. So I use my MacBook Air um this software i have an external hard drive where i keep the lion's share of my digital files i have an external sound card and audio splitter made by tractor uh, which allows me to preview the next song when the current song is playing Uh, and i have some sennheiser headphones Um, i used to have some akgs which were great um mid-market Um, all-rounders but the problem with a lot of the over-ear headphones is that when one element of it breaks you can't repair it so I um, there's a DJ shop in London that sells kit to professional DJs and I've gone there and bought like cables and whatnot for years Uh, remind me about the time I DJed a wedding and went in the day of the wedding in full regalia I wasn't getting married, but uh, I definitely raised some eyebrows. Uh, but I went in and the guy behind the counter was like, you know, you should probably get these ones. And I was like, oh, I don't want to spend this much money. But the sound on them is just beautiful. But more importantly, it, the, the reason why I bought them is because every element in the headphones is replaceable. Mm. So it means that I don't have to have an accidental like breakage and then have to lay out however many pounds to replace them um so that is that's really good and also you can't go wrong with high quality headphones so that was a bit rambling um laptop and software external hard drive splitter headphones spare usb key for when people are inevitably like i need to give you this file and i'm all set up like here's a little usb dongle um my little apple proprietary plug whatnot in case Mm. I need to plug in a phone or I have to for some dire emergency DJ from my phone or an iPad um power supply um bottle of water (laughs) snacks (laughs) snacks snacks um yeah they are the um that's the basic stuff and I use DJ software because it mimics the cd decks that i used when i first started djing so it seemed familiar to me and this is not like some people dj from spotify or from itunes or from winamp or whatever and it's not like a oh you can't be a dj if you're not using dj software it's that this is familiar to me and the idea of djing from a playlist like fills me full of anxiety in the way that some people who dj from a playlist look at dj software and go oh my god that fills me with anxiety like choose your own adventure this is my one that's great and um do you have a tagging system yes yes i do it's like a it's a process um so i uh i tend to process music in batches 
So I will get um, once a month, I will kind of like build up this list of new music that I want to acquire. And I get it all through my various nefarious ways. Um, And then I sit down and I listen to it and then I tag it we're in the comments so i use itunes because it interfaces with dj so i'll tag it with dance genre style and then approximate tempo um and then flavors Mm. so something would be like um swing medium mellow bouncy groovy tasty dusty or (laughs) swing fast Pacey, hectic, jazzy, jam circle, Balboa, solid, like stuff like that. Solid, solid, because like perception of tempo changes, and often you'll put on a song and you're like, yeah, this is this is way faster than I thought Mm. it sounded, or like, oh, this is this is way slower than I thought it sounded, and we've all had those moments as dancers on a dance floor. So I I use the BPM uh, tag on it as well, but in conjunction with perception of how it sounds and every now and then i'll be like oh this doesn't sound as mellow to me as it used to it sounds really slow or it sounds faster and i'll I'll refresh the tag on on a song if it's needed yeah that's really cool i'd love to see like like behind the scenes see some of those tags like is there a song that just ticks all those boxes like banger anthem solid <laughs> um i think a few of them are there and it's it's useful because um i, I go through different phases of djing in different ways sometimes mm. i'm just solely motivated by the bpm sometimes um uh, using dj allows you to search by keyword so mm. i'll type in like dusty and i'll just have like uh, a set of the dusty older sounding um jazz classics mm. whereas if i type in jug we'll get a lot more ragtime or leansy um sort of rag sort of vibes um oh i've totally lost my way now <laughs> <laughs> that's great no it's good um, uh yeah so it's but this the tags i use are words that i genuinely use to describe music and i remember having a conversation with someone and they were like oh you've got like you're really hep with your jive speak and I'm like no this is just genuinely how I talk about music um like oh like banger is a word that I freely bandy about Mm. when it comes to a good song like oh just go on to slap on a banger yeah why not yeah there's this great video oh I forget what it like what the terms were but there's a video of um on YouTube of Lizzo like listening to different songs and being like is it a banger or is it a, an anthem mm. or is it a tune or is it a vibe or something like that yeah oh no i'm here for it it's so good she's like mm, it's a it's a vibe but it's not a banger and she mm. like gets into detail yeah but yeah. like so understanding how you think of music and how you frame the distinctions will inform how you tag things mm. um i know that there are some djs out there who are like almost it's like encyclopedic in how they tag things and i that's not how i hear music it's not i i'm very emotional in how i respond to music so i'd much rather give it all these flavor tags rather than the year it was made uh the names of the musicians although that is a useful that is useful information Mm. uh the lead instrument um who gets the first solo uh all the different types of music you could like um all the different types of dance you can do to it, any idioms, like stuff like that. Mm. People really drill down and I have huge, huge respect to that. Yeah. Um, it's just, 
it's not my jam for me it's not how i roll yeah it's fair enough and i feel like like nobody's going to see less people are going to see your metadata than the people yeah. that are going to hear your music it's it's about yeah but yeah. you see um people who are like oh i finally i'm trying to like dance around it i didn't want to say it um but a dj i really admire is dan Ripsch, and mm. he is a dancer and a teacher and a dj who is currently based in canada and he's been like in our community for a long time and he recently finished an entire recategorization of all of his music catalog of which is very substantial uh, and he like put a screenshot of it up and was like because we've all known this project has been going on for a while and just to see it, it's just like oh mm-hmm. oh god like that's like something to aspire to but also it, i felt really shit because i know that i'm never going to do that but um giving myself permission to look after the music the way that i want to do that is quite freeing and like that's he is a very meticulous person i am somewhat less so so it makes sense that we would categorize in a different way yeah that's cool i think whatever works yeah for, for yeah. you that's great so I wanted to ask you, like, what kind of music do you like? And do you have any, like, strong feelings about, um, I mean, my assumption is that DJs would play to the room and not necessarily just their own music taste. But is there any kind of music in particular or um, musicians or band leaders that, like, you really enjoy playing or that you would characterize as, like, um, your style? Or do you feel like that? that changes and you try and change things up depending on what set you're doing well there's a lot to to answer in that outside of djing i listen to a huge breadth of music um when um we first met this morning i was listening to uh, a playlist of mine on spotify called mega bay party jams jams with a z and i can assure you there is no swing on there whatsoever um so uh i i listen to a really diverse amount of music because i love it and i want it in my ears all the time um when it comes to djing for dancers um it's not i mean there are some of these qualities that are reflected by certain band leaders certain writers uh, individual musicians but what always motivates me is a real sense of groove and a good melody like they are above and beyond like they are what i really go for or like these little moments in the song you're just like "Mm, just so good i just want to live in that little five second nugget it's so so good um there's a a billy holiday song that um has come to me this year and it's called then they called it swing and there's like a little bit where she does like a a and i'm like oh i love this so very much (laughs) and like i'll work it into a set just so i can have that little pure moment of musical joy for myself and i know it's a great swing song and people will dance to it but um maybe i should have started off saying this like i don't play music that i don't like i think it's pointless like if you don't like the music don't play it if you don't like swing jazz, don't DJ it, and you might want to question your choice of dance. Mm. Um, go somewhere like go to the Latin room, like just yeah. to find find what makes your heart sing and dance to it. Um, there are so many modern bands out there doing really good shit um, that uh, 
I when I first started out DJing, I was very much more interested in the modern versions of the older songs. Not necessarily because I didn't like the older songs, but I am really impatient when it comes to having to deal with a lower quality file, which is part of the course. The technology just wasn't what it is nowadays. Um, and so the idea of like an 18 piece big band around one or two microphones is fantastic on the headphones, but mm. in um, a played through speakers situation, it is not as great. Um, and I would be very frustrated by that. And so I avoided older tracks for a really long time, but it seemed really silly to not be listening to this stuff because the musicians, the modern musicians who are inspiring me are inspired by this back catalog so why shouldn't like i should be listening to this Mm. and so i started off with um uh, a band that i really liked so take for example i really love michael gamble i'm a huge fan um of the kind of juxtaposition of older songs Mm. but not being a slave to the authenticity of it and like being confident and breaking free and making it still sound groovy and fresh but not in a kind of neo swing sort of way uh, and there is a song that uh, they do with, I want to say, Laura Windley and Miss Brown to You. Mm-hmm. And that's a Teddy Wilson track. And I was like, I really fucking love this tune. <laughs> like, who is it by? And I found Teddy Wilson. And then I went off on a Teddy Wilson mm-hmm. spree. And it's just, I think, and that was, is just a small example of how easy it is to find the source material and then develop your own taste in the original artists. And I think it's really important to know the heritage of the music like it is important to know the heritage of the dance. Absolutely, yeah. I think like... You're going to need to edit that together so I sound intelligent. Oh, <laughs> it doesn't need touching. <laughs> oh, that's great. What about um, what about DJing for competitions as opposed to social dancing? DJing for competitions is its own brand of terrifying. Um, I think when I first, the first few competitions I did, I was so anxious about getting it right that I like recounted every song, like like filled papers with the like tally gating to make sure that there weren't any secret two bar bridges mm. in there that I'd missed. Um and I had to dispel I had to figure out for myself because people talk about like 32 um 32 bar chorus, standard jazz phrasing, and I actually had no idea what that meant. And I knew that I needed to know but like try googling it and it's it just none of it seemed to make sense right uh and i can't remember where the light bulb moment was Mm. but uh it was i think when i accidentally picked when i was like um doing some prep for a competition and i accidentally picked out a blues song and i was like oh wait a second (laughs) why did i not think about this because i've listened to blues music all my life uh but i've never thought because i don't play music um i've only dabbled in in playing an instrument i've never thought i'd never thought about it in that way and it seems so fucking obvious now to connect the two dots and i was like oh okay so understanding the difference between standard jazz phrasing and standard blues phrasing like is vital first and foremost and so knowing realizing that i'd cracked the code was really important i remember also djing doing the music for a a competition weekend and realizing that 
um i wasn't quite familiar with the uh the terminology because i wasn't doing many competitions as a dancer at that time so the 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 terminology of um phrasing half chorus full chorus eights sixteens i was just like i i feel really out of my depth and I mean, I look back on it now and I'm like, oh my God, why did I say yes to this? This seems really <laughs> silly. But like you get asked to do something, you're enthusiastic and you think you can do something. Fortunately, all the music went fine. Um, but it's uh, uh, it can be very uh, stressful, even just doing the prep before you get there. Because if you think about how stressful it is to compete um you you want to remove as much as you can f- for the competitors and like you know you've done your job if if no one's shouting at the dj or at the gatekeeper so it, it is completely different to social djing in the way that social dancing and competition dancing are completely different um understanding because it is uh, a burden of expectation that you get it right uh which had it occurred to me when I first said yes to doing my first bit of competition DJing, I probably would have never done competition DJing. But that's also why I try and cover it in the workshop because mm. I think understanding what you're letting yourself in for is a useful thing. Um, but you can kind of take baby steps into it. DJing for performance competitions is still incredibly stressful because like, what if you press start or stop at the wrong time? Or what if you get the stage directions wrong? But at least you don't need to worry about fitting spotlights into however many choruses are in the song or like AABA phrasing and like mm. um, making sure that all heats have a, a consistent experience. Um, yeah, that was a bit of a waffle. I liked it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, are there any are there any songs that you don't play? Um, for various reasons there are some songs that i don't play because i think they've been done to death like i don't play lavender coffin outside of a classroom um is it's just i'm not knocking the song before people start sending me hate mail (laughs) um but it's so well played elsewhere you don't need someone else doing it um there are some songs that i won't play because they're not appropriate to play like um I won't play Strange Fruit. I won't play any versions of I Like Pie, I Like Cake. Um, I won't play most versions of Clap Your Hands on the Afterbeat. Uh, Basically, songs with racial slurs in, songs that glorify uh, physical violence or domestic abuse. Um, Any song that I am not sure if it's cool to play, I won't play it. Mm. Um, and I won't play um, work songs now. Um, I love uh, the song Wade in the Water. I will not play it ever again. Um, and I'm really grateful to Obsidian Tea, the blog, um, for helping me uh, become more aware of the experience that black dancers have within our um, Lindy Hop and Blues communities and um, so I try and be as aware as I can and I'd like to think that if anyone was like yo Spoon that's not appropriate mm. uh, for whatever song I'm playing I would I would engage with it and learn from it yeah that's great um, I think there's I think there's so much that goes into DJing like from listening to your experience of it 
And also just as an attendee at events, I'm like, I understand that having good DJs is really important to the experience of an event. Um, how can event organizers, if they're just starting out and want to hire DJs, how can, how can they support DJs and what is best practice as an event organizer? <laughs> That's a can of worms there. Is it? Cool. Um, <laughs> I think, I think to preface this answer with most people can understand the difference between a good DJ and a playlist or a bad DJ. Um, and I think if people, if organizers want to have quote unquote good DJs at their events, they need to appreciate that it may not be as obvious to, uh, to them, but uh, they are worth paying for like they're worth it's worth paying for bands and it's worth paying for teachers um because djs spend hours honing their music knowledge and their djing skills and they pay for the music and they pay for the software and they pay to get to events and so on and so forth so i think as an organizer what i would want to see is factoring in from the beginning into the into the budgeting stage money for djs like it doesn't like hit like newsflash kids being a dj does not pay like at least in the swing community it does not pay and that's fine but like what i don't want is for for myself or for other people djing i don't want to be paying to work mm. um i don't want to be out of pocket for this thing that you want and I would appreciate it if people could factor it into their budgeting sooner because we, oh, we can't afford to do travel or we can't afford to do this. Like if you had like booked your DJ at the same time that you booked your teachers, it would be far enough in advance that you probably could afford, if not to pay travel, to at least um, organize accommodation and maybe pay a small hourly rate. Mm. Um, These things, um, it's just nice. And what I really get frustrated with is when people are like oh can you dj at our event i'm like yeah cool what's what's the terms they're like oh well there's no budget for djs but we can give you a party pass i'm like well i'm in london and you want me to fly to this location in europe and then figure out my own accommodation and lodgings and uh food and whatnot and you can give me a party pass so i can't do classes either and it's just a little bit it feels a little bit thoughtless yeah. to me and i'm not sure if it's because i'm meticulous virgo that way or i'm making <gasps> I'm a virgo too <laughs> <laughs> nice. yeah high five uh, i'm not sure if i'm making a mountain out of a molehill but yeah. um it's just it's a compliment if you're asking me to um to dj but i can't pay for shit with compliments i can't pay for shit with exposure mm. like uh every i mean and it is a for me personally it's a sliding scale and i'm always more willing to be flexible for smaller and emerging communities in our scene so there's that but it's my decision to make and someone who's like oh it's great exposure for you i'm like well i'm pretty sure that's my decision to take like if i think i'm gonna meet people there who will be friends for life potential dance partners potential lovers chicka wow um potential organizers who can book me for other things or if i'm planning to go to your event anyway 
then maybe I'll think about it. But to assume that I want the exposure, it's like I I'm I don't want yeah, that's um somewhat arrogant. Yeah, for sure. So what would you um what advice would you give to um people, presumably dancers, but I guess um people who want to get into DJing, maybe they have strong opinions about music, um, but have, you know, never DJed before, never done that. Um, What would you say to those people? I'd say yes, more DJs, please. Particularly if you are female presenting, if you are a person of color, uh, if you are in the queer community, absolutely, you should think about doing this, please. We need more of you. Second of all, I mean, you've done one of my workshops and it was great. <laughs> yeah, but it's also super dense. It was really dense. <laughs> <laughs> but like we, we talked about it. Um, it's so you only need to do it once and then like you're done. Um, but you don't need all of that knowledge straight off the bat. So I would say if you want to start DJing, start DJ for yourself in your bedroom. Get your device and your operating system of choice and see if you can dj for yourself for an hour uh and then once you can do that approach your local organizers and be like hey do you have like a beginner slot available and try it like Mm. you're not going to know if you like it until you try it and then obviously there's so much more to know about um setting up and how to use a mixer and like gig etiquette and like playing band breaks and competitions and whatnot but like the you have to put one foot in front of the other and before you can learn about like you before you can put any of what we talked about to good use you have to know whether or not you like it whether or not you like thrill from the pressure of keeping a floor happy or if you're like no fuck this noise this is way too stressful for me so you're not going to know until you try. But once you've tried, it's like in a dance class, like the teacher demonstrates all the stuff and then you're like, but wait, I have questions. Like try it out for yourself and then the questions you have will be far more informed. Mm, that's great. Mm. Yeah. And and like in terms of um, different events, um, what can somebody expect from maybe a small like local event in terms of um, maybe tech setup and and resources versus having like, an event where there's an audio engineer there and you're working with a band and an mm. MC and other DJs, that kind of thing. Like, how do you adapt for those different kind of events? Um, I think knowing what songs in your collection play well on what kind of sound system mm. um, and how to get the best from the sound systems that you're working with. So commonly small local events, um, your weekly events in your scene, um, they will be the kind where there's like one speaker like of whatever size it might be like like a couple of mini rigs hooked up together or it might be one of those big speakers um, that you literally just plug into the back of and you've got like two dials it might be um, you are connecting via bluetooth to someone's like early 2000s ghetto blaster and like mm. it, your mileage really will vary but knowing what songs work on what kind of sound setup and how to get the best from them so if you're djing at one of those local events or a house party with the big speaker that sits on the floor if you prop it up a little bit with a couple of big books underneath it then it will help the bass project and it won't get absorbed into the floor so it won't sound as flat 
if you are DJing uh, at an event and there it's only two speakers either side of the stage, um, if you can possibly edge the speakers in. So I imagine that sound like I clearly not technical here. Uh, I imagine that sounds kind of fans out from the speakers mm. like in, in a fan shape. Mm. So what I try and do is angle the speakers into each other just ever so slightly. Uh, so there is more of an overlap where those sound waves, um, there's there's a, a greater space where those sound waves overlap. Also, what I do is I DJ in mono, uh, which means that rather than having like, if you think about having your headphones in, like rather than having the singer in the left and the clarinet in the right, uh, you have both of those things in both ears because what you don't want, and there's lots of examples of these floating around, what you don't want is to play a song where Lionel Hampton is busting out his thing <laughs> on one side of the room and on the other side of the room, all you can hear is bass. So mm. playing mono means that all of the speakers get all of the information so none of the dancers missing out on any of the good shit. Mm. Um, so yeah, just having knowledge like that for the smaller events is good. Um, if you are at a bigger event with a sound person, that's normally great. But I need to tell you, if you are uh, a female presenting DJ, you can expect eight times out of 10 to get mansplained how shit works. Um, yeah. I was emceeing an event in January this year. Um, and one of the nice men explained to me that if I stood in front of the speaker with the microphone on, it would make a squealing noise. Oof. And I was like, oh, that's called feedback, isn't it? Thanks, mate. Oh, no. Yeah. And just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's one of those things. I can yeah. suck it up, but it's just, you can expect to have someone expect that you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. So my weapon against that is to try and know what I'm doing in as many instances as possible. That sounds like a good strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so if if one wanted to take one of your workshops, if one wanted to. <laughs> um, what can we expect? Uh, you can expect to be taking a lot of notes. You can expect... Hard work. Hard work. <laughs> Blood, or, sweat and tears. Yeah, or just, I think it's it's quite, I mean, there's a lot of information in the workshops and I think being able to stay focused and not kind of lose yourself in my melodious voice. Very easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, being present and like trying to absorb and process and those or just writing down the information uh, and asking questions as they come up. And mm. you know from experience that you'll have a question and I'm like, I'm about to get to that yeah. because it's all very tightly packed because it's also interwoven. But the idea is that with the workshops that I give you as many tools as possible and like you might be like i can only carry these three tools for now mm. but i'll keep the rest in my bag yeah like to know that it's doable because i think a lot of people are like oh i can't it's just so complicated and i don't know enough and like you as i said previously you just need to get the ball rolling mm. and understand that yes there is a lot more to djing than just pressing play but it once you've had the kind of uh lifted the veil mm. and had a look at what it actually entails it's not as scary as you yeah, think for sure mm. i think um like i was so impressed by how many measures were in place to like prevent anything happening mm. i mean you have like damage control strategies in place but so much of it is set up that that should never happen mm. um 
and yeah, like even just having, um, like you mentioned, 24 hour deadlines for competitions and that kind of thing. Um, so you have all your music ready to go, um, having a good tagging system, having like every kind of cable and like converter that you could possibly need and, um, and backup strategies in place. That's yeah. I think it's about being sensible yeah. uh, and being consistent, um, and being boundaried. Mm. Um, so the 24 hour thing is, uh, when you're playing the performance music for a competition or performances in general, you should have that music 24 hours ahead of time. That's what I want organizers to be doing. Yeah. There will be times like where they're like, here, can you play from this phone? And it's like, sure, that's fine. Like you're, you're the organizer, it's your call, we'll do what you want. But I prefer to have everything done and ready to go so it flows nicely. Mm. Uh, there's no issue with the sound quality. There isn't any glitching. That's just how I roll. Um, and having everything 24 hours ahead of time means that if shit goes wrong, you've got time to sort it out. Um, and I think that is um, something that people don't necessarily consider, but like it will happen because DJing, like shit happens. Like, oh, the band have overrun by 20 minutes. Uh, so your set has been cut in half. And also we've decided to do a speed shim sham. Can we do it after the next song? What? Uh, or it's like, oh, we want to do an endurance competition or the fastest feet competition or our MC hasn't turned up. Could you please do that? Or um, we need someone to be a gatekeeper for the live band final. Can you do it? Like people will spring shit on you and expect you to be able to do it. And mm. what I want attendees of the workshop to understand is that Yes, they can totally do that yeah. because this is what it entails. But also you can totally say, no, sorry, mm. that's fine. And I think a lot of people expect DJs to be able to do all the things for all the people. And that's not necessarily the case. Like awesome DJs aren't necessarily awesome MCs and vice versa, although there is definitely overlap, but in the same way that awesome teachers aren't necessarily awesome competitors or vice versa. It's just people were like, oh, like, you know, Spoonders DJing, you know, they can gatekeep, that's fine. And like, yes, I can, but do I want to? Mm. No, <laughs> yeah. sometimes it's fine. But yeah. um, yeah, knowing the, the steps you want to take on your path is a, a useful thing. And I'd like to to hope that people who do the workshops come away feeling like they have a sense of what they can and can't do at this moment, but where they want to go with it. That's really cool. Um, I think in terms of like music libraries as well, um, I I liked what you what we were talking about earlier in terms of um, Spotify, and um, for me personally, I I'm. <laughs> I've kind of like addicted myself to Spotify and mm. now it's it's really hard to come back to iTunes and and start building a library from scratch. Basically my iTunes library is just like like five songs but then five versions of those songs at different speeds and they're yeah. just things that I've done for routines or like classes and that kind of thing. Um so I feel like if I do go back to iTunes, you know, I had iTunes like in the early, early days and it had all my music from when I was like in primary school. <laughs> so that's where my iTunes library stands. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really like the idea of having my own database of music. I can tag it. It's all stored locally. Um, or it's, you know, it's not stored in the cloud somewhere. Um, no one's going to remove it, mm. that kind of thing. 
Um, but I think I'd definitely be starting from scratch if I did that. Yeah, and that's kind of daunting because you go from having the world's music at your fingertips uh, to like, oh, I've got like three Gordon Webster albums and like a Jive Bunny album for the record. I don't own any Jive Bunny, but like it's like <laughs> you? you. But you realize how how um, our interactions with music has changed so dramatically over the last few years. Um, and also now with Apple removing iTunes, it's like, fuck, where do we go from here? I am personally nervous as hell. I'm like burying my head in the sand. Everything is fine. Everything's fine. Everything is not fine. Um, but you know, you have to do what's comfortable for you. I always encourage potential DJs to bear in mind that I personally, like you should do what I do. No, like I will always try and persuade you over to owning the music mm. because streaming services do not pay the artists in any conceivably sensible way i would like streaming one song constantly 24 hours a day for like a year will not pay as much as if you just buy the fucking track yes so just buy the track buy music buy, buy the music. music support the musicians yeah. pay for the music uh, and if you can afford a £10 a month Spotify premium mm. uh, account, then I would suggest you uh, can afford like an album a month and mm. just build it up slowly but surely. Um, but, you know, barrier to entry uh, because of cost is real, you know, and I'm not going to look down on someone f who is DJing with Spotify. If Like a good DJ is a good DJ is a good DJ. Mm. Like... Um, I don't care what your tools are. I want you to keep the floor moving and flowing and happy and dancing. Mm. Uh, and I want you to enjoy what you're playing as a DJ as well. And if it means if you're playing on Spotify on your computer, but listening to Spotify on your phone, so you're listening to the songs ahead of time, mm. like whatever works for you, like it, it's just you you are your own person. I don't want lots of like identical spoon replicas that be fucking boring i can only in the workshops i can only show you how i work and what works for me and if you think that works for you cool if not whatever like now we know like sometimes you can only find out what works for you by process of elimination and that is totally valid yeah that's awesome um so you're also a teacher and yes. a dancer as yes. well as a dj um would you talk a little bit about your experience doing that Cool. Where does one start? Uh, in terms of how I got into it or what I'm doing now or... Yeah, I mean, like, uh, how did you get into it to start? So I got into swing dancing um, kind of by accident. It was uh, coming up for almost eight years ago, which doesn't feel like a very long time, but also feels like a really long time. Uh, in 2012... Um, I was in the height of my northern soul, like early 50s, jump blues, bangers, obsession, like elbows and knees, like, yeah, <laughs> loving it. Um, and I uh, was asked by my employer to go out and work for a few months in New York. So I did that. Um, and I couldn't find any northern soul anywhere, like I'm not sure how I missed it because it's like a really big thing out there now. It, like it was, there was like one night a month in Williamsburg and the month I went out there had been cancelled and it was just like, ugh. And so I couldn't find it. 
Um, and uh, my relationship at the time like broke up over Facebook Messenger and I was just Oof. like, I'm, I can't stay inside and eat my body weight in sushi uh, for three months. Although like I wouldn't have been averse to trying. Um, and I was like, I need, I was craving music because I was going out dancing to Northern Soul once a week. I was doing salsa classes. I was just like, music, as I've previously said, is a really big part of my life and I needed to go out in a social way. So I was like, oh, okay, I can't find any Northern Soul. What what else do I like? And so I started focusing on like that swinging jump blues, like R&B vibe from the early 50s. I think earlier was like 1952. Mwah, sweet so spot. So good. So good. Uh, but I didn't know it. I didn't know what it was to my ears. I was like, that is swing music. And like, we would, we can discuss another time whether you think R&B is swing music. Mm. It's not swing music, but it swings. But it's great. But it's, <laughs> oh, let's, let's move away from this uh, bag of rats. Um, it is, I, I really wanted something. And I was like, I, I typed into Google. It was like an SEO dream, swing, <laughs> dance, Manhattan. Mm. And there used to be a studio called Dance Manhattan, which sadly closed a few years ago uh avita and michael used to teach out of it uh nathan and gabby taught out of it uh and i signed up for like one of those like crash courses and, and like do it all in a day sort of thing so i rocked up this one sunday hungover no breakfast not really thinking about what i was just getting myself into and within like the first half an hour i was like holy fuck this is really 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 important to me like i have discovered something really important like super profound and i came out of that like four hours later high as a kite and also feeling kind of special because hungover and no breakfast uh, <laughs> but i'd signed up for classes um and in london everyone's all about the drop-in um whereas out then in new york you'd sign up for a four-week rotation of classes so I finished the Sunday thing, signed up for classes, picked up a flyer, I was super like enthusiastic, did my first, that was on the Sunday, I did the first class on the Tuesday, and then I went to my first social that Friday, like, and I literally haven't looked back. And now when people are like, oh, I think I might be ready to start thinking about social dancing now, I've been learning for six months, I'm like, oh, wow, I really am about throwing myself in at the deep end. That's great. <laughs> yeah, and it was um, incredible. And uh, I was doing it like voraciously, like I couldn't get enough of it. I didn't want to be home. I just wanted to be out dancing. I didn't want to spend time with friends or family. I was like, I could be out dancing right now, people. Like, what do you want from me? And then when <laughs> I moved back to London, I was um, I was really depressed and my like... My mental health absolutely plummeted because I had um, been given the impression that I would be stay, I would be coming back to London, signing papers with an immigration lawyer and then going back to live in New York. And that didn't did not happen. Um, but something that kept me more balanced was dancing and I found places in London to do it. So I found one night a week and then a second night a week and then a third and a fourth. And I think at one point I was dancing between like four and six nights every week. I just I had to. I was compelled. I was obsessed. Um, I was fixated on this thing because it was the only thing that was bringing me joy at that point because I was so unhappy in so many other ways. Um, and it, it's settled down a little bit now to the point where I can, as long as I dance at least once a week, I'm not going to get really angry. But like, you know how some people get like, if they don't go to the gym, I'm like that if I don't, if I don't dance. Yeah. Uh, and it's beginning to like escalate again um, because it got to the point where 
I wanted to do more with my dancing, but in London, it's very hard to find uh, people who have the free time to practice with you. I mean, everyone's so busy. You're like, hey, let's practice. And they're like, okay, so I've got maybe an hour and four weeks time. Does this work for you? And it's Mm. kind of hard to develop that kind of dancing relationship with people. And because of the nature of the employment that I've had previously, I haven't been able to commit to troops. Mm. um, And I haven't been able to commit to uh, attending regular lessons when I found lessons that I wanted to do. Um, And so it's been like a really interesting journey whereas I've come to the point where now I really love having solo practice time in the studio and it seems so alien to me because a couple of years ago I'd be like oh solo jazz is so weird and so hard and Mm. I I think we all go through that but now I'm at the point where if I'm not practicing and social dancing at least once a week each uh ideally more Mm. uh then I'm like like it's really it's not enough for me because it is it's outlasted all of my romantic relationships and I often joke without much humor actually that dancing is the love of my life I think we can all relate yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah oh that's lovely that's yeah. such a nice story um it's been a difficult uh it's not difficult but it's been an interesting uh 18 months or so for me because I um I'd, I'd kind of been having a real ebb and flow with my mental health for various reasons and I decided to leave my job and go traveling just for swing things and blues things uh, and the original plan was to only do it for three months or so maybe a little bit longer and here I am like 15 16 months later still doing it and that was never my intention so it's been wonderful and stressful um, and it, but it's been illum- illuminating for me because it's helped me realize the kind of dancer that I am. And like I love and hate competitions because I hate them because I always feel shit. I always feel like I'm not good enough. Um, I always feel insecure, but I love them because it gives me a chance to compete against me. I'm not really interested in anymore against competing against other people, although I know that's the nature of competition. Um, But it's useful for me to see how far I've grown compared to the last competition that I've been in. And I understand now that like the chances of four, five, six, seven people with clipboards seeing me for long enough in a competition to think, yep, I'm digging on that. I'm picking up what they're putting down. Uh, is unlikely, especially as I've spent the last two years making sure I dance like me and not like everybody else, which um, I don't want that to sound arrogant, but I'm focusing on my voice. That's really important. And, and not what's trendy in yeah. the swing world, because ultimately I have to be true to me. Um, and it's, But it's really sustaining buoyant uh, in a sea of negativity when once again you don't even get through to the next round never mind place mm. it's something that I'm learning to just let it ebb over me but something I've come to this year is uh choreography oh yeah that's uh, I fucking love that shit oh yeah. my god um so historically uh, I hadn't done a huge amount of it because not being able to commit to troops um, and not being able to find someone who could commit 
enough time for dancing with me previously uh, to develop choreo. The only choreo I really had was stuff that teachers had given me or ones when I'd been in a small group that the choreo was given, okay, you're going to do this. Um, and that was tremendous. I mean, I uh, my first uh, experience of doing choreography at ILHC. Was that with the Jelly Bean? No, that was with London's Greatest Hits. Oh, yeah, uh, great. And there were a, f- uh, were a group of couples and I did it as a lead, uh, which is when I was beginning to really uh, just dip my toe into um, making sure that my dancing was more role balanced rather than just focusing on one role. And that was great. And uh, so every time, every now and then I'll get like, oh, I'm really scared about this. And I'll be like, Spoon, you led at ILHC in a fucking team routine. Like, chill the fuck yes, out. You did. are never going to be that terrified ever again. Although I'm going to be at ILHC this year. I'm not sure if we're allowed to talk about it, if this is coming out after the event. What year? Um, so we're in January yeah. next year. So. so I would have done it by the time this comes out. Okay, April. Yeah. Well, it was I- great. You <laughs> did it with flying colours. <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, I'm doing a pro-am, uh, oh, which I'm really excited about. Um, but it's... I'm excited about it because it's a, a chance to do choreography, which I've realized this year and done some choreography projects, uh, that that is where a lot of my joy actually lies because it means I can convey my humor and my style as a dancer that is totally not dependent on a stressful situation, which is great. Um, and uh, I'm trying to do as much choreography in one role as I am in the other role. Uh, something I really enjoyed about London Throwdown uh, Just Gone was when people were like, oh, are you doing competitions? And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing X, Y, and Z. They're like, oh, you're doing it as a leader or follow? Like that for me, that question made my weekend, even That's though great. I felt like I did super shit in a lot of the competitions. It was amazing because it was proved to me that people see me as a dancer and not as either a lead or a follow. So that was really nice because I'm all about breaking those gender roles. Definitely. Yeah, I've I have been leading like a little bit, definitely more in the last year or so. I think it like started, um, it was something I never considered when I first started dancing mm. because it was like, okay, you can either be a lead or a follow. And mm. I think there's just been so many more conversations about that in recent years, which is really nice. Um, and it kind of started like... Um, because I was assisting teaching a class and then a lead asked me like how to do the move and I'm like I don't know like Mm. I've never lead and so I kind of wanted to learn how to lead a swing out so that I could help students which is ridiculous when I think about it I'm like why was I teaching if I didn't know but I think I was mainly just helping out demonstrate some of the moves at that time um but there's so much joy in it that I didn't even realize and now I'm like great like I can't my leading is definitely not where my following is but Um, I can't wait to work on it more. And like, if anyone, if anyone is, is in a particular role and like, hasn't tried it, just try it. Cause you can get Mm. so much out of like either role and switching too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, all all of that, all of that and more. It's, um, I think it's, uh, really valuable. Um, especially in terms of the teaching Mm. dynamic, I remember being in a class and asking I was really excited to be in it because it was like a high level learning class uh, and I asked the follow 
something pertaining to the move and they were like oh I'll have to go and ask the lead because I don't know that and it was Mm. very explicitly about the following Mm. and I was like I want to know all the things Uh, but again that's but that's a reflection of of who I am which is why you have all the things given to you when you do the DJ workshop um but I found it really frustrating and I mean they were fine about that but I felt like disempowered on their behalf because Mm. you know I'm I'm but again that's just the kind of cloth that I'm cut from and I want to know the dynamics so I can understand when I'm on one side what's happening on the other side it's like learning it feels to me like you're only learning half of a language. Mm, yeah, for sure. Mm. Oh, cool. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about today? I don't think so. I'm more concerned that I ha- that there's been bits on your questions that I've missed. But if you're happy, then I'm happy. I feel pretty happy. Okay, yeah, that's the main thing. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Um. Thank you for being on my podcast. Oh, thanks for asking me. I feel like famous and shit now. I think you are. <laughs> um. So where can we find you? Um, are you on Insta? Uh, yes. Um, you can find me on Instagram, all one word, uh, lazy vintage gal. Uh, and I also have a website, which is sarahspoon.net. Uh, and on my website, you can see where uh, I'm teaching and DJing and emceeing. And if you want to look at pictures of my face, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's the best places to find me and there's a contact form to reach me on the website too so if you want to get in touch if you don't want to slide in my dms you can do it through the official channel you've got options you have all of the options that's great people have options yeah. but not too many not just too like many nice yeah. amount Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on the show. I feel like I learned so much from speaking with you and I hope those listening got something out of it too. Also, a big thank you to the Shirttail Stompers for their recording of Tea for Two, which is our show theme tune. They are a fantastic band and we're very lucky to have them here in London. If you would like to support the podcast, I have set up a Patreon. So any support you can offer goes towards the time and the resources it takes to produce this podcast. You can learn more about that at patreon.com slash swingstuffpodcast and you can also check out the show credits in the episode notes. You can also follow the project on Instagram at swingstuffpodcast or at rubyspells if you want to follow my personal Instagram and you can like the Swing Stuff Podcast Facebook page. Um, and I also set up a Twitter. I mean, I'm not that into Twitter, but, you know, it's there. It's there. So that's probably enough shameless plugging for now. So I'm going to thank you for listening. And if you'd like to stick around, Sarah and I have a bonus chat because we enjoyed talking that much. Uh, so have a listen to that. And I will see you next month for more chats on the Swing Stuff Podcast. Thanks, bye. Uh, I can also give you um, the the follows oath that I frequently do in classes. Yes, please. Um, and I love it when it's in uh, FL classes. Uh, everybody follows, everybody leads. Mm. And I, I know that people say LF, but I want to put F first because feminism. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I make everybody put their hand in the air. And I do solemnly swear. I do solemnly swear. That I. Name. That I, Ruby. Will. 
Oh shit! I mean, oh my god! Like, it's, uh, it's a great oath. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel really committed. Okay, yeah, okay. Um, uh, I do solemnly swear. I do solemnly swear that I, Sarah Spoon, that I, Ruby Bell, that if I do not feel it, that if I do not feel it, I will not fake it. I will not fake it. As in dancing. As in dancing. As in life. As in life. That's beautiful. My hand's still up. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's just... um. Can we get that, like, engraved somewhere? <laughs> what, as in dancing, as in life? Yeah, I On my know, forehead. Like, merch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I mean, I do... Um, I dabble in design here and there. Um, I designed a pin uh, for charity last year. I designed four. One said patriarchy claps on one and three. One said follow, one said lead, and one said switch. Uh, and I sold them at Lindy Focus last year and then through some events who bought some. Uh, they put orders with us. Uh, I did this in conjunction with my uh, friend Alita in New York. Um, and the premise was that we sold these pins just for A, shits and gigs, but also because don't assume roles of dance by gender presentation. Uh, with a dollar from each pin going to Junior Jitterbugs in Cleveland. And we raised nearly $900, nearly a thousand. That's great. Which is like awesome. And so, because uh, every now and then I like to like make something, like I just want to do something. Have you seen uh, on my computer with all the stickers? Yeah. I have the heart that says, uh, it's illustrated, says and Intersectional Feminism or GTFO. Uh-huh. That's one of mine. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So if one being me, myself, but also others, mm. um, wanted to purchase such... Um, you just slide in my DMs, baby. Slide in your DMs. Slide okay. In, I mean, not the DMs that I'm wearing because I'm my feet are in them, but like my not Dr. Martin's. Yeah, but my like direct your... messages. Okay. And um, I've just <sighs> finished designing one um, which was a personal request for a gift, uh, which is um, which is like a, a warning sticker that says uh, menstrual hygiene is not just for feminine bodies for um our non-binary and trans friends out there who happen to menstruate and are sick of like flowers and women in really tight white jeans advertising menstrual products so yeah. when it doesn't look like them can we move on from that please oh, so <laughs> over it yeah so over it i am um, that's cool yeah i just reworded all of my um apart from the reviews like feedback page mm. all of the all of the stuff on my website to gender neutral pronouns which um i am coming out as using which has been super interesting and mm. fucking terrifying and super cool that's great mm. yeah and so the pronouns you're using are they them and theirs yes and theirs okay yeah uh, and finding non-gendered ways to make exclamations, uh, like rather than being like "yas queen," which for the record is fine, but I'm the kind of asshole that's like, "But what would be a gender-neutral term?" Yeah. Uh, so we've got like uh, "yas monarch," uh, which is ridiculous, <laughs> or um, "yas emperor," which definitely has Star Wars vibes. And people are like, "Well, what about empress?" But I'm also like, "The force is strong in this one," so emperor is fine. That's so um, good. <laughs> Yeah, I've been using gender neutral language in my teaching for ever. Mm. Um, and I started trying to use gender neutral language outside of teaching 
and I was like, I I really like using gender neutral language in relation to myself. No big deal. <laughs> oh my god, I've just had a huge realization why. Um, so it's been interesting, kind of going on that journey, and now like asking people to use these pronouns uh, and try to not feel like super awkward and like oh, I'm just gonna look at my shoes, but can you not call me lady anymore because. I ain't no lady. That's that's fair enough. And I think like it's something as well that I feel like when we're when we're socialized and, and when we grow up with using binary language, it can be really hard to make the transition to just like it's not muscle memory, but like in the same yeah. way, like how do we get out of the habit of using that language? And I think it's okay to practice and just be like, Okay, I got it wrong, but I can apologize and try again. Yeah. Like I've definitely um, sometimes in class accidentally said like, okay, and ladies, we're going to do this because that's the way I was taught. Mm. Um, and slip ups will happen, mm. but you can be like, okay, uh, that was a mistake and I'm going to try again. Yeah. Follows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, it's all a learning curve and you don't learn things without making mistakes. That's like a general as in dancing, as in mm. life, like that's just how it is. So um. I sometimes misgender myself. Um, I'm doing that less. Mm. Um, picking, like, stopping people when they do it is something that I will be, I will continue to improve at. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, just, I really enjoy finding the neutral workarounds. Um, and uh, so I call, like, I'm like team, like family, friends comrades like yeah. whatever uh teaching in spain uh earlier this year i mean my spanish was i mean it's pretty rudimentary now so it was definitely rudimentary then and talking with my um teaching partner who can speak spanish uh about like words to use and like the pronunciation of uh gendered words with x uh, as the ending rather than an A or an O and it just felt like too much information for me. So mm. I settled on uh, Mi Familia, uh, which- That's so nice. Well, it's, yeah, technically it's a, I'd rather go for a feminine ending word when addressing a group of people, mm. but like family rather than like guys and gals is mm. just so much nicer. Yeah. Um. So yeah, just little, little steps. But even before I realized I was agender, I would get really, angry when people would like wait at a table we were like okay hey guys so guys what we're gonna like what do you want to order guys and it's just like can you not see we are clearly not yeah guys here like just a small effort on your part will feel less exclusive for so many people whether you realize it or not um i was gonna have a rant about something else remember what it is um, i mean i've always got opinions on something it's me that's cool i like it I'm like hello <laughs> my name is sarah and i have opinions yeah. <laughs> it's good yeah. it's good to have opinions yeah uh do you want any other fancy um, what's your favorite color uh my favorite color is a golden mustard yellow Ooh. which you can tell by my entire black <laughs> i ensemble. mean the laces have got some yeah like ochre tones yeah i uh that was completely accidental but um uh, yeah, yellow is my favorite color. Um, I used to never wear black anything unless it was a special occasion um, in my like previous life, I guess is a way you'd phrase it. Mm. Um, but then when I started having 
like serious like body image issues um I feel kind of reluctant to call it dysphoria because Mm -hmm. uh I don't think it's what some people experience but I was very very uncomfortable in my own skin and I went from having this incredible wardrobe of beautiful vintage style I mean you remember how I I used to dress with all like the a-line skirts and the seam stockings and the like little heel and like the curled hair and full makeup super hard femme um and I realized that it like I wasn't doing it because it felt like me I was doing it because I was getting like performative femme cookies like I felt validated oh my god that's such a great term what is performative femme cookies (laughs) I mean that sound yeah that's not bad if I say so myself um but it didn't it felt like I know now that I did it because I wanted to be congratulated it was like well done you are humaning well you exist as something that I can see and appreciate therefore you are clearly cool and it wasn't until I left the my job and started living out of a suitcase and I was just like I don't have to dress for anyone for the first time in my life and it's not like I had to dress that way for my job but like the more cookies I got the more cookies I wanted Um, and so to let go of that and then I had this ridiculous situation where I had a photo shoot with a really talented um, photographer and like I went up at, uh, and we did like the shoot on locations and I had dress here and there and there. And then a week later I had a gig uh, as an MC where I needed to dress up really smart and I just had like this massive meltdown packing my suitcase because I, I didn't want to wear anything that I had I had all these clothes looking at me like beautiful colors and I was just like I just wanted to be invisible and having met me like you know that I'm not an invisible person and I just wanted to disappear and and so wanting to be me and disappear at the same time felt it was just such an unexpected and alien thing and I didn't understand why and I thought it was because I felt fat and I hated my body uh because I've had yo-yoing weight my whole life and I thought it was that and then I had a situation uh where I dressed up like super girly for a photo shoot because I sometimes do part-time modeling yeah um uh, and I did that and then afterwards I was like depressed for three days because I couldn't deal with the disconnect with what I'd look like in the shoot with how I felt um and all the while this thing is running concurrent with me using less gendered language, me beginning to think, oh, okay, my pronouns are gonna be she and they, because what I wanted to do was normalize people saying what their pronouns are. Mm. Um, because uh, as a privileged white person, um, I can do that. And people are like, oh, okay, Spoon's doing that. Okay, that's fine. And so the one person who's in the room who might be like, well, actually my pronouns on what you assume they to be but I feel a bit weird saying it I wanted to make it safe and normal for them yeah and but then that kind of opened up um a thought process where I was I started questioning everything that I'd taken for granted I mean I'm AFAB ABFAB ABFAB uh assigned female at birth and like I have a very feminine body I mean I've got ins and out for days babe but I want I I, I was finally questioning everything and it felt like the scariest 
thing to do, but it's like, why didn't I think about this sooner? And it seems so obvious to me now. Um, and I started voraciously reading about um, non-binary and agender experiences online. I found some great articles on Medium. I joined Reddit so I could like look through the sub threads and like every other post was like, I feel this way. I think it might be this. And then like 15 people underneath being like, yep, you're one of us, mate. Welcome to the family. And it was like, oh my God, this is a really big thing. Um, and then uh, I try, I was like, no, I'm just going to let it go. And like, I told a few friends that I was thinking about like gender and like how it applies to me. And people were like, okay, do you want to talk about it? And I'm like, eh, no, I'm fine. And then like panic attacks in the middle of the night. And then asking friends to send a voicemail um, describing me in the third person using they, them pronouns. And then when I heard it, it was just like a fucking floodgate of relief opened. And I was like, wow, like I finally discovered this feeling that I've ignored low key f for my whole life. I now know what it is. It's fucking crazy. But I've been... Although I'm very, I'm very vocal in like there needs to be more like female presenting, more people of color, more queer people involved in the forefront of the Lindy Hop communities, yeah. making queer safe, queer spaces and safe spaces available to people who are in minorities. It's just, uh, I'm now like, I understand what people are saying with, uh, I wonder if I'm going to get hired less or if I'm only going to be hired because they want a diversity thing, you know, like yeah. got, they've got boxes to tick, which is, I know uh, a few really high profile dancers who fit in a minority category and they've spoke to me like, well, it's a great gig that I'm happy to have, but like, I'm not sure if they want me for me or because I tick this box, mm. um, which is a path that I'm, I guess I'm now going to be finding out about. Uh, and I'm really fortunate that I can be really blunt and open about it. I'm like, well, this is me. You're going to have to deal with it because also, also I don't fucking care. Like this is my <laughs> life um, and this is my experience of it. And if you don't respect it, then I definitely know you're not on my Christmas card list. So yeah, I, I have that luxury, which a lot of people don't have. But it's just it's so interesting how so many different things intersect uh, um in our lives and how this affects how we move in the community. Sorry, this has just turned on into a massive fucking and another thing. It's fine. Like, <laughs> I'm not reporting. This is my podcast. Like, <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's um, it's an interesting journey. Um, and I am frequently plagued with imposter syndrome with my dancing. So now I get to be played with imposter syndrome of being like, but am I non-binary enough? Mm. Um, and it's, it's interesting to see now because like, if you're non-binary, if you're non, if you are agender, if you are somewhere within that realm, like we don't owe society androgyny. We don't, we just don't. And also there are people out there who identify as agender and non-binary who don't necessarily use they and them pronouns. And that's totes legit. Like mm. their experience is their experience and they will tell you what their experience is and what they're comfortable with and what they would like. Um, but it's just, it's open. Being a dancer has opened up my eyes to so many things that I might never have realized. Like 
when I was younger, I had dreadlocks and I wore bin I wore bindies. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I did that. Would I do that now? <laughs> Fucking hell no. Yeah. Like I um, you know what I think I did as well like the butterfly clips and bindies and like nail polish it was all kind of the same thing when you I was in yeah that age and the hippy dippy earth mother thing I, di- I did that like full yeah. gusto um and I, I genuinely I think that if I hadn't discovered dancing I would never have really appreciated what cultural appropriation really means mm. I would have been one of those um privileged white people that's like well it's just a harmless thing it's just fashion whereas uh, like I'd like to to think about it now. I mean, it's it's what I did, and I have learned a lot since then. Um, but it's kind of like, oh god, I was that person. Like yeah. I like minced around with my lovely dreadlocks uh, and got nothing but compliments for it. But like, it's because I could because I was wearing it as fashion, not mm. as heritage. And I think if that had been my heritage, then I probably wouldn't have had as many privileges as I have had. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like, I think it's better to realize these things and talk about them out loud than yeah. to be complicit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's why uh, I want that. That feeds into why I really wanted to play like really banging soul for the soul competition at Bean Town mm. because soul music, like the jazz music that we dance to, is built on a heritage of African American musicians. Mm. Uh, and I didn't want someone to come along and Arthur Murray all over it, you know? Yeah. Like this is, uh, I didn't want to take a dance that comes from uh, one set of African-American musicians and then plaster it over another because it's the only thing that we do here. It just I wanted to show more respect for the source music and the source movement. Um, and I will never know that life that inspired the gospel that inspired the work songs i will never those songs were not handed down to my family in that way but i can appreciate them and love them and share them in a way that i hope is respectful and i will be fucking dead in my grave (laughs) if i will let you like triple step to a soul song that doesn't have uh triple beats in it I'm going to stop ranting now. <laughs> no, I mean, that's what a great note. <laughs> and if, another if thing. One thing if you this. remember one thing is that I have opinions and I like music. That's, Thanks. And if you'd like to find out more opinions, <laughs> you can find Just, me. Just you can ask me any fucking time. That sounds great. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks, Ruby.